Gentle people, persons of all permutability and mutable attributes, welcome to Write It Forward, the pod for and by aspiring authors, and also everyone else is welcome to listen to this podcast, honestly, doesn't matter who you are, welcome to Write It Forward. Mum, that, no, that doesn't include you, Mum. I, I told you I'd be in the basement today. I put a note up, right? Didn't you see the smiley face? Yes, I'll be up for dinner. Thank you, Mum. Yes, I'd love a cinnamon roll. Alright, sorry about that everyone. Uh, fortunately, this is the miracle of radio, right? So we'll just edit it out afterwards. No one will ever know that happened to me. That'd be insanely embarrassing, right? If that ever got out on air. <laughs> Holy moly. So anyway, back to the show. Here we go. T, take it away. Welcome to another episode of Write It Forward, the podcast by aspiring authors for aspiring authors. I'm your co-host for today, T. My counterpart for today is none other than our recorder and editor of audio and archon of advanced applications and alliteration, Alloy. Well, thank you for joining us. Naturally. Happy to be here as always. And joining us today are our daring distributor of dirty deeds, Damien, and our cunningly calculating student of current mathematical quandaries, Complex. Good afternoon to the both of you. Happy to be here, full of heresies to share. Same. I hope all of our beautiful viewers are doing well. Uh, <laughs> listeners. All right. So uh, today's topic is going to be world building. However, before we delve into that, I believe we have a piece or two of fan mail. Alloy? Uh, we absolutely do. Let's see here if I can find them in the pile. Really got to dig through that giant pile, huh? He should borrow some of Santa's helpers. They're, they're used to this sort of thing. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. Dear, write it forward. Love yours, efforts, and voices, especially Damien's, <laughs> obviously. Now for my question. How do I get past writer's block? Thank you kindly. P.S. Damien, have my baby. Oh my Sincerely, long time listener. Kind of flattering. Writing writer's block <laughs> sucks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Generally, the best way to get rid of writer's block is to just get your mind off of it completely. Um. I know in my worst moments when I got stuck in the middle of my most recent project, I would just set it aside for a day or two and go back and watch some really good movies um, that have really well-written screenplays and plots, or I would go back and play some of my favorite video games or do other stuff that I had to do with life um, and just completely get my mind off of it and then come back later. That often helps. I also use that technique with my calculus homework way too many times. If only it were so easy. Uh, my own, my problem with Rise Block, which I've personally have been stuck with my current issue for how long now? Uh, two months. Is that I get into these vicious cycles where the more I try to get over the writer's block and the more that I fail to do so, the worse I feel about it and it's just not a good place to be in. What I really enjoy doing is talking about my ideas and my problems with other people because I find it easier to talk and type about what I'm supposed to be writing than to actually write it. And I find that doing so and getting feedback and interacting with it allows me to engage the material in a way that I wouldn't be able to do so, or at least not as easily, if I'm sitting at my desk staring at the blank space trying to make the pain go away. So for me, intera uh, interacting with others and having a group to turn to is really essential. And I found that some of my best ideas have come into being when I'm talking about stuff with others. 
Damien, any thoughts? So in terms of writer's block, um, I personally just pick a different, like I, I have Alice approach pretty much. It's just not even that I just write anyway. Instead, I choose something else to write that I want to work on and I write that short story or uh, something random that I just feel like writing about and I write about it and then I feel good because I got my word counted for the day. Might not have been toward the project that I want to work on, but it's still something and it gives me that motivation to go back to it later. Um, I really like complex suggestion, you know, just getting yourself away from that, that space where you feel like you're just stuck there. You're stuck in a, in a, in a rut almost, and you can't get any page, any words down on the page, you know, take yourself out of the environment, puts you in a totally different mindset. And, uh, it lets you, uh, you know, work a little more creatively, a little better when you return to the computer later. This is especially true for persons such as myself who are quite obsessive and generally, I don't really have the luxury of being able to do multiple projects at once because I think my brain would split itself into pieces if I tried to do so. It's just too much focus is required. <sighs> that's fair. That's fair. All right. Um, I think that's a pretty diverse uh, set of takes, or at least diverse enough. I hope we managed to answer your question and managed to help you in some way, uh, whoever asked that. Is there anything else, or was that really it for today? I think we're kind of done with the uh, with the mail. Yeah, there are a few others, but they all just say "Damien, I love you" or something <laughs> of the sort. So, uh, not that much substance I, I to them. I love you guys. Too. Although it's a nice sentiment, right? Okay. All right. Well, uh, now that we've taken care of fan mail, uh, on today's main topic: world building. Every writer in every bit of genre fiction and I personally will contest also in poetry, must develop a world within their work that underlies every other aspect of the piece. Uh, it's tied into setting, definitely, but world building, it goes beyond aesthetic and geography and temporal placement. World building is, it's about rules. It's about the consistency and rationale of the piece and everything within it. It includes things that tie into the setting, that tie into the characters, that tie into the plot. World building if the rest of the piece is the ocean, world building is the ocean floor. And without the ocean floor, everything above it just kind of floats and it doesn't connect. That's at least how I've tended to view world building. Um, so I think an interesting question, because it's always funny to gripe about things and break them down in a critical way. What is a prime example uh, that comes to your mind of an inconsistency in world building or just generally bad world building that totally killed the magic for you. May I go first? Be or should I not go first? Because if I do, it's going to start a, a shit posting uh, fit. <laughs> if you're so sure you're going to start some shit posting, then um, maybe don't go first. Yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait. Mine's pretty outrageous too, though. <laughs> no, no, my, mine's worse. Mine's worse. All right, if you say so, uh, then I guess I'll go ahead and um, just say uh, Harry Potter is mine. You stole mine. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, but anyway. Um, so I deeply admire Rowling, right, for her tenacity and imagination and everything. Uh, but, you know, there's a certain point in the Harry Potter books where you realize that most of the magic are just like pretty facades and spur of the moment cool ideas and when you actually start to consider the underlying mechanics of a world where pretty much anything is possible with magic things just start to fall apart really quickly it's like 
why cook food when you can do it with magic, right? Or why have elf slaves when you could have enchanted brooms? Or why use a toilet when... Well, eh, never mind. Uh, I think you get the point. Um, so, in, in essence, I think it's it's just too cool for its own good, right? Uh, Rowling is just throwing things out there, anything that comes to mind, uh, without any regard for the underlying world building. And I think, in the end, that kind of hurts the immersion if you dig too deep, if you delve too deep and too greedily. And you just end up with, uh, you know, all these in- inconsistencies. Not right? sure I've heard Which that exact what... take on it before. Um, I- I've kind of personally left Harry Potter behind me because I've moved on mostly to being concerned with my own work and more uh, higher level reading. Um, but I, I will admit me, like every other millennial and most Gen Zs, that stuff was like the foundation of my childhood reading. Right. Yeah, I think to most of us, that was the case. Do either, does anyone else have any uh, gripes to uh, make or can I uh, unload the, the big stuff? Oh, boy. I, I, I'm just bounce off what, uh, what Alloy yeah, said. Um, yeah, Damien, go. Because in, in terms of like like Harry Potter, I always thought that, you know, the, the magic, I, I know exactly what you're talking about when you said it's, it's too cool for its own good. A lot of the stuff feels like, in, in the contained universe that it exists in, um, it, somebody would notice this uh, this shit, right? Like that whole, um, we can talk about Harry Potter spoilers here, right? This is from like 2007. So it's like, yes. you know, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, or, well, you can not say Snape killed whoever. Oh, no, no, no. Not <laughs> but uh, when they had the, uh, in the beginning of book seven, when they were um, trying to escort Harry to the Weasleys and there was that whole big battle in the sky, it's like you're telling me nobody noticed like people flying off broomsticks, falling to the earth, um, you know, just like this huge battle going on. Uh, and not even to mention like the platform nine and three quarters thing where they, you know, just run into it in front of everybody. I don't think that's explained. It was explained in the movies, I think, but it wasn't explained in the book. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of things that just felt like like when I was a kid, it was totally fine for me to read because I was like, oh, whatever, it's suspension of disbelief. But as an adult, it's like I want something a little denser with a little more thought to it in terms of that right yeah i mean if people were vanishing into a brick wall at a platform in the london metro station you can bet that bbc news would be there with like a live camera feed like what the is going on yeah right immediately well it's an example of what we in mathematics call a non-hausdorf space and this is serious we actually talked about this in one of my topology classes as an undergraduate yeah math is filled with geeks unsurprisingly (laughs) i uh, okay, I'm curious to see what your uh, your really spicy hot take you say you've got is. So are we? everyone ready? All right. Well, I can't me. stand Sanderson systems. They, they're ridiculous. I'm going to vomit. No, the reason, I, no, the reason I, why is <laughs> I basically I consider have... myself the extremely non-productive, evil, atheist mathematician uh, version of Sanderson. And as and this is actually, I, I was literally just writing a massive essay about this uh, yesterday to in another group that I'm working on. For me, uh, as a mathematician, I actually have a great deal of experience with uh, the kind of stuff that Sanderson does in his magic systems, which is thematic systems. That is to say, you have a set of rules, and everything that happens is derived by taking combinations, increasingly complex and creative, of those basic rules. It's That is literally exactly what you do in advanced mathematics. You define a set of foundational rules, and from that, the entire theory follows. 
My problem with Sanderson is that he doesn't go far enough. Uh, as case in point, let's take allomancy, for example. For those of you who don't know, uh, the basic gist is there are certain metals, and if you eat them, you gain a specific power uh, associated to the metal. And if you eat an alloy of the metal, you gain a power which is essentially opposite or inverse of of one. So, for example, one power allows you to push objects away, while the the alloy version allows you to pull them close. Or is it the other way around? I can't remember. For me, I love that kind of stuff. It's great. You can do lots of combinations. I think some of the stuff that he's done with it is wonderful. But, and this is the key uh, point of what kills it for me, is that it makes the world too simple. Reality is complicated. There are rules to think. Rules are things we use to describe what is. They aren't what actually is. It's just our best attempt to make sense of it. For me... Well, if I, had, if I could tweak allomancy, what I would do is I would give every single element on the periodic table would have its own effect. And you would have gradations of effects for various types of alloys. So literally, the sky would be the limit. You wouldn't just limit it to this specific list of effects. You have something, because for me, magic is something that's supposed to be part of the world. It's supposed to be integral, as much uh, relevant as gravity or electricity. It's part of how things work, and the real world is complicated. It's not the kind of thing you can summarize in a handy-dandy little chart. So, so what bothers me in this sense is that it assumes that everything can be so neatly wrapped up and explained away as if you're just checking off a couple points of the list. I, I can understand where you're coming from. Um, at the same time, I can see why Sanderson doesn't take it further. Um, from it, a it, I, I don't know why. It's very specific. He, it's the rule of cool. It's something that's simple, but it's great. I mean, he's great at what he does. I have. I, I wish him nothing but the best. But for me, I, I am the kind of person that I uh, would much more go towards, say, Philip Pullman than the His Dark Material series or Madeline Lengel's uh, A Wrinkle in Time, A Wind at the Door type of stuff where the line between science fiction and fantasy blurs and disappears. And you have stuff which is both rigorous in its own way and yet also filled with wonder <laughs> that's that's fine because yeah. even sanderson himself said very famously in his own lecture series byu he said my style of writing is not for everyone and i think that's actually something that every writer needs to remember is that their style of writing is not going to be for everyone um personally i haven't read a single word of sanderson's work for people like you who want the super deep, super insanely detailed world building, fantastic. There's authors out there who will do that. Well, it's not even that you just, I want the detail, but rather I don't want to see the, the distance cut off by a backdrop painting. It's really more about saying, and this is important, in fantasy, literally, the sky's the limit. And so what isn't? allowed what is was stated to be impossible is just as important as what you say is possible you can establish rules without needing to go all the way as saying okay this is comprehensive and explains everything you can leave the fuzziness in there because it really it's just a matter of presentation if you say okay so this is a comprehensive list of all the powers versus this is a list of all the powers that we know of and just by that little change, you create the possibility for 
there's something new for mystery, for wonder, which is not present when you establish the boundary of what of the impossible, rather than letting there be this vast gulf between what is known to be possible what, and what is known to be impossible. Because it's there in, in what Tolkien would describe as the Misty Mountains, where the wonder lies. And this is independent of whether or not you use strong rule-based magic systems or, uh, or so-called soft systems. Here's the thing, right? So, so in terms of Brandon Sanderson's system uh, complex, how much how much have you read beyond Mistborn? For me, I have been quite meticulous in reading about his work. I've tried to read the actual books themselves, but oh my god, it's. I, I was just trying to read the new chapters of Rhythm, Rhythms of War that was posted uh, for the Tor read along, and it was hard to get through. It, have you read the, I, the other, the previous books oh, in the what? series? Have you read the previous books in the series? I I had, I got several chapters into The Way of Kings, and then I couldn't continue because I found the epigrams more interesting than the plot. So I just skipped ahead to read through the epigrams. All right, okay. And then I lost my phone that had the copy of it on. Ah, shit. But again, this is about world building. And so I, I'm at, and, and uh, I, again, what he does, he's wonderful at it, but it's just not my taste, if only because it's so close to the way that I would personally do it. But yet it takes that uh, wrong turn from my perspective at that last moment. So I'm always sitting there thinking, ah, oh, damn it, why couldn't you go more? Why couldn't you, uh, you uh, go all the way? And it's, it's just a, it's a, a personal preference purely. But I just want to point out that that is an aspect of world building, that what you disallow in your setting is just as important as what you state and allow because it establishes the contours that distinguish what is what might be and what can't be and that's a very important in the way the reader approaches the setting immerses themselves in it and gets themselves invested in what's going on sure that's some some really right. cool ideas you got there all right um i cannot imagine uh, the kinds of mail we might get after this episode gets out <laughs> um, yeah, right so let's uh let's move on to another question here uh concerning uh world building that i prepared um the dreaded the feared uh the uh the eternal monolith uh that is the info dump bum, bum, uh, bum. yeah many authors throughout history have been guilty of it it's extremely difficult to avoid sometimes especially if you have a really complex world that you built up in complex setting with complex characters um there's a number of ways to try and get around this to try and avoid this um Many authors have talked about it, but I'm curious as to um, how people here have tried to work around the info dump and communicate aspects of the world they have built without just slamming a wall in the reader's faces. Um, I know I've got a couple things I've done, but I'm curious uh, to let you all take a crack at it and speak first. Yeah, so in terms of avoiding info dumps, I feel like um, just kind of integrating the the world building into uh, conversations that the characters are having or um, into the narration through, depending on whether you're writing first person or third person, you don't have to get super cryptic with it um, in terms of uh, 
like like throwing random words out there that people wouldn't normally know but um just adding it to the everyday like mundane thing mundane things that your characters are doing um can help out a lot personally uh i just you know i was i write i've been writing mainly urban fantasy lately so like in terms of world building i've only really had to do the magical side of it i can kind of like culture and stuff like that in terms of of the actual like the the main world that everything's taking place in is super easy to um to do because it's just you know present day um earth um so i you guys will probably have more insight into this than i will okay um alloy your thoughts yeah, so uh, yeah, I definitely agree with Damien that trying to naturally incorporate exposition through like dialogue or everyday action is a great way to do it. But uh, I think especially in a fantasy setting, uh, one should not be afraid to sprinkle in some exposition here and there and, or even info dumping. Like it's expected in fantasy, right? Uh, for there to be some exposition. Tolkien did it, Lewis did it, Jordan certainly did it. Uh, like even more recently, when I think about uh, current authors like Scott Lynch or Joe Abercrombie, they, they certainly do it too. Um, so uh, don't be afraid to build your world uh, and occasionally painting it stark like using epigraphs or uh, to return to uh, say say for example Lies of Locke Lamora by, by Scott Lynch uh, what he does often is he's, he will start a chapter uh, with world building and even history uh, and just paint it pretty starkly a, a big picture um, so so in summary I don't think info dumping is inherently bad you just need to take care and be, be moderate and considerate just like any tool in, in the writer's toolkit uh, yeah one of the things I try to do is I try to do my world building throughout uh, the piece. So I try to not tell too much about the world in any one act of the story, so to speak. Uh, in fact, in my largest uh, work so far, um, I had to commit to one chapter that was a probably more of an info dump than it should have been. Because there was, uh, like, the main religion that exists in three of the countries. It's so foundational to so much of the allegory and uh, some of the other plot points and how people interact that I had to do some explanation on the origins of it. I, and I admittedly stole a page out of The Name of the Wind. Um, if anyone's ever read that, uh, you'll know that both when he's on the run as a child in one of the cities in this world, he ducks into an inn and there's this old storyteller who repeats basically the origin story of the main religion that exists in that world, um, along with a few heretical bits that actually tie into the plot. Um, and I totally kind of stole that idea, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I set up a situation where a few characters were taking shelter from a riot and the badass old lady who owned the sewing shop uh, told the one outlander the origin story. Um, that's the only info dump I did, and I did it very regrettably. Otherwise, I always try to embed it into little pieces that are relevant to the story in that moment. Uh, there's a part later in the book where Ed... Uh, a witch um, does some magic stuff and a character who'd only ever seen classically trained arcane spellcasters is so confused and she's like yeah you just use trees like a net go for it um, and so I, I embed things into events um, that same witch winds up telling a prophecy 
uh, because one of her powers is that she can get glimpses of the future. Um, and then in the immediate following chapter, um, it's a totally different character, totally different area of the world, totally different things going on. But prophecies are brought up in a different conversation. And the uh, the chaplain there uh, very sternly explains uh, that the best prophecies are still only ever half true. And I intentionally set that up because the prophecy given in the chapter right before that had four parts. And only two of them are going to happen. Um, so little things like that, where it's relevant, when it's relevant, and tie it in naturally. Um, that's the way I try to avoid info dumps. May I? Yeah, of course, go nuts. Okay. So for me, world building is, I have a particular relationship with it in that it is how I figure out the story that I want to tell. I am I'm very much an idea guy, and my I do world building to figure out what can potentially happen and what and what's interesting and what's cool and what's neat and i use that as my guiding light so figuring out how to integrate it is essential for me because it's part of the thing that makes writing fun and it's uh, where what my stories are about uh one uh, all of you about uh, have been saying about including it naturally that's absolutely essential uh, i call it being doing a uh, good world building doesn't just sh uh, tell you about a thing or show you about a thing. I mean, good exposition doesn't just do that. It gives you a context for it. It's, uh, as you would say, modular, meaning you describe something like, for example, a taxi, or you're mentioning food that's being prepared, or you describe a furnishing in a house, or uh, a, ba a distant battlefield that was uh, uh, des uh, destroyed back when the Great War was fought or whatever. You have elements of the world presented in such a way that you give them an identity and a purpose and one that can exist beyond just the, the immediate scene. It can be, and it can be referred to later on, and it establishes how the world works. It's not just a thing. It's a thing with a purpose, with an identity, and that makes it both easier to ingest and, e and more memorable uh, uh, and easier to hold on to. Um, the, what, what was the other one to say? Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, in doing all of this, sprinkling things around here and there is a very, a very good, but really what I love to do is have the world building actually be relevant as to a part of the story. For example, in my current work, uh, I begin the story with a prologue in which Essentially, a magical being just descends to this primitive civilization out of nowhere. And then the, later on in the story, I'm 2,000 years in the future. And then uh, after that, an entire religion has been built out of that. And the relationship between the, that religion and the main character, who is basically a lapsed member of the faith, is very important both to the, his arc as well as to the story overall. And I explore that throughout the story, but I will have him talking about what he experienced as a child, going to Sunday school, learning the stories, or when he's sharing information with others. At one point, he finds out something that's so astonishing that he goes back to his uh, this uh, scriptures that he was given as a child and to read through them to try to say, oh my God, is what I've just seen actually consistent with what I read before? And, and all, in doing so, 
the presentation of the information doesn't become a point of stat- a stasis in the story, but it actually advances uh, the story. The in- reason why the info dump is so dreaded, in my opinion, is because it grinds the story to a screeching halt. You have to stop and explain, explain, explain. But if those explanations, are, uh, however they're presented, are part of the story, they give knowledge which advances the plot, then you've inherently made them interesting. You've piggybacked them as you might say, along something which advances the plot or develops character. And in that respect, it's easier for it to come across as uh, digestible and and engaging rather than just a time waster. That's a pretty good take. Um, All right. Um, If there's not any additional thoughts here, I do have another point uh, that I wrote down here for today's uh, session. Yeah, go ahead. All right, cool. Um, So uh, another item is uh, the interplay between world and character. What are your methods and ideas for using world building to add depth and meaning to characters? You you mind if I go first? Go right on ahead. Cool. So uh, in terms of world building and and characters um, being synergistic, I, I feel like you can really tell a lot about a character by the way they react to things that happen in the world. So, I guess that's that's really specific to. Uh, I mean, I just I write a lot of urban fantasy um, or a lot of like uh, contemporary environments. So, when I end up trying to do world building, um, oftentimes it's something that somebody from that world normally wouldn't interact with, and seeing how they react to that is one of the most interesting things to me, and I feel like tells so much about the character. Um, for example, if somebody stumble stumbles across like. Um, like a, a random wormhole that takes them to a totally different dimension and they, they you know it's, it's it's like medieval times there and like there's a magic system and the magic can bleed over into their world um it's just it's really telling for how the character interacts with those things um and the way that they react to them uh especially just you know how they handle it mentally um do they feel like all right well i want nothing to do with this i need to turn around and go back now or are they super about it are they just like yeah i just i want to be a hero i want to be a superhero i want to be the protagonist because who doesn't right so yeah uh that's that's essentially my take on it you can you can definitely weave those really well together especially if it's if it's something that um like an an urban fantasy perspective where it's not something that that character would normally interact with in the real world in their world all right mind if i go next yeah Sure. Right. So the interplay between world and characters. Right. And uh, I think Damien brought up some really good points there when he uh, said uh, characters need to react to your world. And that's that's a good example of, of interplay. And he specifically mentioned that if something out of this world happens, how do the characters react? And yes, that's that's a brilliant take. I want to go at it. That's a, that's a very very urban fantasy take, right? So I'll go at it from a more traditional fantasy route, and I'll say, um, how do they not react to something out of this world? Because it's so normal and mundane, right? That's another way to uh, to to show off both the world and the characters, right? Say, for example, uh, you have your characters get into a magical taxi with no driver, and it just you know drives all on its own. It's magic. Ooh. And uh, and your character, they just uh, they don't give a, a dang about it, right? Because it's so normal in this world. Um, 
So non-reacting is another way of, of reacting is, is uh, what I'm getting at, I guess. Uh, so, so that's really cool. But to expand on, on that interaction, I think you can use uh, stuff like fashion, for example, culture, uh, societal norms or structures. Those are like the essence the best that always when i write that that's what i use that's that's, that's why I, I write fantasy honestly i want to have my characters be a certain way that might not be possible in our world might not be socially acceptable or whatever just exploring all these ideas and phenomena just exploring all of these things uh you know is is, is the coolest part about writing fantasy so i think please everyone make use of that make your characters for, for example just uh you know uh, by now, most people probably know that in, in my novel, uh, you know, everyone is gay, right? So <laughs> that's a thing. And yeah, that's not something I could explore normally uh, because uh, people aren't all gay. Some people are actually straight, you know, <sighs> gasp. Please don't send angry fan mails about that. It was a joke, obviously. Uh, straight people can be nice, I think. Uh, <laughs> oh, what, what am I doing? <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Edit that out, please. Uh, so yeah, but to get back on track, um, uh, yeah, um, but but yeah, just exploring you know social constructs through the lens of, of fantasy, you know, just veiling it very thinly that it's so so that it's 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 apparent to everyone that this is a hot take, if you want to call it that. Shout out to to complex, um, but yeah, in summary, I'd say you need to incorporate all these things right. Uh, world building and character uh, just have them interact with each other uh, and and use all tools at your disposal in order to do it seamlessly and uh, and naturally that's that's how you get you know that uh, that great interplay between world and character and lastly um i'd like to touch on on plot as well um because I think uh, in incorporating uh, world through plot is another great way to have your characters interact with the world if the plot revolves around the characters doing something with the world uh, you'll naturally get like world building uh, in there just seamlessly so i think that's a that's a great idea yeah uh for me uh the part of the uh, you're saying about plot is plotting is absolutely true but the answer to this problem is as is, is just as simple namely make your plots about your worlds if you, uh, for example, uh, let's take uh, a Game of Thrones and Westeros, the fact that the plot does not even bother to investigate why the weather and the seasons are the way that they are is just such a missed opportunity. People, there's, there's a difference between world building that you treat as, as I said, a window dressing and world building that ties into the plot. For me, my, the, the, highest and uh, degree the absolute creme de la creme of speculative fiction is ta are tales of wonder and confrontation with the unknown i want stories where secrets are being unearthed new truths are being discovered uh, uh unknowns are being confronted new peoples are being encountered all that sort uh, all that sort of goodness uh in that respect i like stories that engage things like their magic systems and their lore their backstories their secrets and the like rather than just treating all of that as the backdrop for whatever political or uh, interpersonal drama that they want to tell uh 
If the story you're out to tell is about how these kings and nobles are vying for the throne or about how uh, these two people really, really need to accept the fact that they love each other, then naturally everything that you write is going to be filtered through the lens of that agenda. In my, in my own stories, like for example, my, uh, my current project, uh, the main character, among other things, is a fan of what you would call manga and or comic books. And at one point, there's a dream sequence where there's a flashback to him reading a uh, one of his favorite graphic novels to his children. And then later in the story, one of the key scenes, he actually gets to encounter his favorite author uh, as the guy's lying on his deathbed. And they talk about creativity and art and, and uh, what it means to them and the hope of wanting to be remembered. And for that, I can in insert all of this gushy, f wondrous fluff, and it becomes relevant because it's part of the story. If your story, if, if you want to engage your world building in your characters, you need to uh, think of your world building not as the details around wh uh, that's orbit your characters and your conflicts, but rather the other way around, that the characters, the conflicts, and what you want to write in your story emerge from your world building. Because if then that's the case, you'll be carrying uh, them with you always, rather than putting them in as an afterthought. Uh, in that respect, one really useful thing that uh, for especially for characters to do is uh, to do, uh, do subtractive thought experiments. You have your setting, you have your characters. Now think, what happens if I just get rid of story element X? Like say, uh, there's an empire. What happens if we get rid of it? Uh, everyone who drinks too much coffee turns into a werewolf. Get rid of that. What happens? How would your characters be changed? How what aspects of their lives would be different? Their struggles? What conflicts would appear or disappear? Think about that. And then well, when you go and working with your stories, focus on those key factors. You want your world building to be relevant. You want it to be engaged in the story in such a way that removing it wouldn't just change the, the flavor of the setting or the cover of the illustration, but it would fundamentally change the aspect of change the nature of the story. And if that's the case, your world building isn't just fluff, but it's relevant fluff. And relevant fluff is uh, is going to be wonderful, and you can tie it into plot, or you can keep it at a distance, and it's much more fulfilling, from my perspective, than a story where you just treat the world as another ingredient rather than as a character and a part of the drama of the story. All right. Uh, I, I talked, as I said, this is one of my specialties and I like talking about this. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we noticed, uh, honestly. But great stuff, to be fair. All right. Um, and with that, uh, I believe we are out of stuff uh, from our outline today. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to uh, another episode of Write It Forward. Have a wonderful week, month, however long it is <laughs> between post uh, these. And with that, um, thank you all and have a fantastic day. Absolutely. And last but not least, let us plug our Patreon. It is Ride It Forward. Patreon.com slash Ride It Forward. Feel free to go check us out on there if you like our content. We'll, we'll be doing a lot more stuff in the coming future. Um, 
So yeah, and also if you would like to send us more fan mail, we get a bunch of those. Uh, the address is writefanmail at gmail.com. So there it is, writefanmail at gmail.com. Uh, again, you are out of excuses. Now go procrastinate. <laughs> <laughs>